You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. One of my favorite verses, actually. How many of you know that in this life, there's usually a difference between who we are and who we want to be? And the reason I know that is because that's why we go to the gym. That's why we starve ourselves, or that's why we go to the store and buy some type of clothing or some type of brand name, or that's why we work really hard to get a little bit more money, or whatever the thing it is that we tell ourselves as we look at the world around us, say, if I have this, then I can be who I really am supposed to be. But a lot of times in the world, those are false ideologies and false ideas of who you are, and yet we still chase after it because we think that's who we were made to be. But when it comes to our Christianity, when it comes to being those that follow Jesus, there is a difference between who we are in reality and who we're supposed to be in Christ. In honesty, that's actually going to be the rest of your life. That's normative. But it's also a good thing if, if we're self-aware enough to realize that who we are right now is not exactly who God wants us to be. Is anybody in this room self-aware to know that you're not exactly who God has made you to be right now in Christ? You're not everything that he's made you to be, but we're progressing towards that. That in Jesus and in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are progressing towards who God has called us to be. If we're honest, though the reality of who we are today and who we know God's word says that we are, they don't always line up. Much like that verse that I just read, it's describing the church. The verses that I just read from 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 is describing who you are as the church. A beautiful description of the church, the body of Christ. This is who we are, the word says. But are we? Did you know that currently anywhere from 30 to 50 million Americans alone who used to go to church no longer do. 30 to 50 million. This is just a a book that's about to come out. It's one of the most comprehensive surveys and studies that's ever been done on this subject. 30 to 50 million Americans who used to go to church no longer do. Then those that actually do go to church, as we think about this is who God says we are in his word and are we there? Think about those that actually do go to church that don't always act like it. I mean, just check out the comments on any social media platform and look at the comments of those who claim to be Christians arguing certain doctrinal and theological ideas. Hateful. Nothing like the church that I just described. 
And on top of that, you have the issues and dysfunctions and divisions within specific local bodies, just like our own. And the Bible yet tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God. There's an obvious difference or disconnect between who we are and who we are. Do you follow? There's an obvious disconnect between who we are in reality and who we are in Christ as the church. And in this passage, it is theologically important for us to understand that Peter is giving Old Testament descriptions of Israel that are now applied to the church of Jesus Christ. This in and of itself could be a theological issue that people would debate greatly. Now, don't miss the corporate aspect of this verse because in our cultural context today, we're really hyper-individualistic. And we think, well, this is talking about me. I am this. But Peter is not describing individual Christians here as a chosen people or a royal priesthood. These are states and functions of the church. You and I, as God's people, this is who we are. This is important to note. We are in a series called Chosen Exiles where we're looking at the book of 1 Peter, maybe 2 Peter before Jesus comes back. Because we've been so long in this already. And there's actually part one and part two to this message today. I want to talk a little bit in part one about who we are, but you are a chosen race. Let me read it again. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is our text for today, if you will, in this particular portion of this message. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we were just singing about. Praise the one, or hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what that means. We're declaring the praises of the one this morning as the gathered church who has called us, if you're a believer, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Therefore, he is praiseworthy. That's why we sing. There was a preacher who once said, you can no more do what you don't know than come back from where you ain't never been. That's true. That is so true. Basically, doing is predicated upon being. We have said it this way, that as believers, we must remember we are human beings first, not human doings. And what we do now flows out of who we are and who God has made us to be. For us to fulfill the mission God has given us as his church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is what we've been commissioned to do. Every place we go, both here and abroad, to do this as a diverse but reconciled people, we must know who we are in order to be who we are. And who we are is who God's word says that we are. So again, the backdrop of the Old Testament 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, gives us four titles of the church, which describes what? Her being and gives a charge to fulfill her purpose, which is her doing. I say her because the church is the bride of Christ. So here's the description of our being and our purpose, our definition of our doing that Peter is giving the church. Since the word of God defines who we are really as the church, it is the final authoritative voice that describes us, the church, true identity and what God has called us to do in this world. 
So we go to God's word for this. So let's look at it. These four titles given to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is the church. This is us. And when it says you, it is not you individually. It is you plural. This is who we are together as the church. You are a chosen race. This is plural. All of us together, you cannot be a chosen race by yourself. You must be a chosen race together as the body. Talk about countercultural, and yet God says he has made in Christ one new human race that is united as one. And that's the church. God has done the impossible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has what? He has made us alive. God has rescued those of us who were in darkness and he has brought us to light. He has taken us away from sin and given us freedom with new hearts and new desires in order to love and make Jesus the priority of, his, of our lives and to make Jesus known. This is the, what we've been chosen to do. I love the contextualized way that I read one pastor say and describe us today as humans in Adam, the entirety of the human race died, and the earth became the land of cannibalizing tribal zombies, the warring dead. Such an infatuation in our culture with the living dead, the walking dead. And yet, what we are apart from Christ is not far from that, tribalized broken into dysfunction and warring against each other. And here's what the Bible says. Instead of that, the good news of the gospel is that all who believe in Jesus have been made alive in Christ. We are no longer the warring dead. Believers are a new reunited humanity whose passion is to delight in God and to love one another and to live for his glory. Christ has spiritually brought to life a new human race that he calls the church, a chosen race, a chosen people, chosen by the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in the blood of Jesus, as 1 Peter 1 says. Next, Peter says the church is a royal priesthood. We don't really understand that unless we do a little bit of contextualization. In the Old Testament, we know what the role of the priest was and that Jesus is now known as the great high priest and he has given us a priestly role. That's why we as the church are called a royal priesthood. Why are we royal? Because we're sons and daughters of the king. That's why we're royal. But we're also priests. And in our priestly role, we have been restored to the vocation that alone satisfies our souls. Do you know what the priest's role is? And do you know what the one vocation that satisfies your soul is? A worshiper. John 4, 23, Jesus said, I am searching and looking for those who worship me in spirit and in truth. These are the ones the Father seeks. This is the only thing that satisfies our soul. This is why the church gathered, worshiping like we just did through song and worshiping through the word causes us to come alive and to feel right if even just for an hour on a Sunday. See, when we gather together, Jesus has made us worshipers and we're the church gathered. We are a living temple. First Peter chapter two also says that we are living stones being put together, not by ourselves, but put together in a living temple that God inhabits when we gather in his name. God meets us where we are when we gather in his name. Why? Because of Jesus to receive our prayers, to hear our songs, and to bless us with his voice through the preaching and the proclamation of his word. 
But that's not all priests do. As his anointed priest, we also represent God to the nations. That's what a priest is supposed to do. We mediate God's word to the nations. Watch this. Regardless, this is why we go to wherever God calls us. Regardless of any direct cultural or ethnic link, we just go. We don't have to have that direct cultural link. We just go wherever God tells us to go. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, which is what Pentecost Sunday actually celebrates, that the Holy Spirit's power has come on the church, and you, the church, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's our purpose. Also, God's royal priests, we are stewards of the keys of the kingdom. It's a sacred position because we stand between the nations and their eternal destinies as we cry out to them to repent and turn to Jesus. Next, Peter says we're a holy nation. Because Christ our King is holy, we are holy. So we're a part of a holy nation, God's kingdom, if you will. God has transferred us through Jesus Christ into the kingdom of God where we live for him by being obedient to his word and fulfilling the mission that he gave us, the great commission in Matthew 28. We are here to represent God our Father in this world until Jesus returns. And until that happens, we are citizens of heaven, Scripture says. We are citizens not of this world, but of the kingdom of God. We are to live, therefore, as ambassadors from that kingdom, according to 2 Corinthians. And we are to live that way, officially representing God by calling all the nations to repent and believe and to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's our role as a holy nation. It's what Peter himself did. That's why he could preach it to us. He did this very thing in Acts chapter 2. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What was Peter doing? He was doing exactly what he's telling us to do in 1 Peter 2, 9. And that is to mediate and call to the nations, call to everyone around us to repent and to give your life to Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. So we bow only to him, forsaking all other earthly allegiances. Our allegiance is to the holy nation of God first. We are his and we live for him. And we no longer live for our tribes, whether they are ethnic, cultural, or political. Hey, that was a weak amen at the end of that one. Yes, it's Memorial Day. And yes, we're appreciative of the fact that people laid down their lives so that we could have the freedoms that we have today. But here's what I want you to understand. All over the world, there are people who do not have the same freedom and we all are still a part of the same kingdom. And regardless of whether we have earthly freedom or not, we've been given spiritual freedom through Jesus Christ and we are allegiance being pledged to that nation, to that king, to that one and only God who is God over all. And then finally, Peter says, the church is God's special possession. Any of you have a special possession? Something that is so valuable to you that, that you dearly love? Hopefully, it's some of your relationships, maybe your spouse, your kids. Maybe it's something else that you have in your life. It's like, man, this is my special possession. It's been passed down from generation to generation in my family. But I want you to know that God says that you, the church, and you that make up the church, 
who belong to him are his special possession, and he loves you. And yes, we love our king, but the reason that we love our king is because the word says he first loved us. We are his because he purchased us with his blood. And that's so crazy because he created us, and then he had to purchase us back. He purchased us with his blood, Acts 20 says, back from any and every sin that could enslave us or kill us. Why? Because he chose to love us. And he proved his love through his son that while we were yet still sinners, God sent his son to take our place. God chose to have mercy on us. So now we are his beloved children, his beloved possession, and immeasurably loved by him. And in turn, God calls us to love him as the greatest priority in our lives and to love our neighbors no matter where they are or who they are, no matter their ethnicity or cultural background. We are to love our neighbors as Christ has first loved us because this is who we are, God's special possession, being predicates our doing. Because who we are, God's special possession, loved, this is what we must do, love all of our neighbors. Again, being precedes doing, but being must lead to doing. And we're God's special possession, loved by him. So we, the church of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, born again believers, chosen exiles, if you will, are not who we used to be. We are a new race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. And since that's who we are, then that's how we're supposed to live. We're bound together as one, one race, one priesthood, one nation, and one new people. This means in Christ, all that is different about us. Hear me, church. In Christ, all that is different about us, our ethnicities, our languages, our cultures, our backgrounds, our upbringings, our socioeconomic situation, no matter what, all of those things yield to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who unites us as one new people. This is why relationships, this is why relationships matter. This is why we're not talking to one individual when we're talking about this. This is why relationships, specifically diverse but unified relationships within the body of Christ, testify of the gospel so powerfully and clearly to a world that is so divided around us. When we live out our oneness in Christ because of our new lives in real time and in real relationships... All of a sudden, we are the evidence of God's miraculous work of making us a new creation, a new race, a new people. The oneness of the church is the apologetic to the world that God has sent Jesus, his only son for us, and that Jesus, the king, has saved us, and that Jesus, the king, has also sent us. Jesus has made the church so that we would proclaim his marvelous, miraculous work of saving sinners and making all things new in Christ. And in Christ, the Holy Spirit sanctifies our cultural and ethnic distinctives, making us God's reconciled, beautiful people called his church, the bride of Christ. And this church is our powerful testimony this is our living testimony. But here's the truth. You have to be willing to fight the good fight of faith in order to stay who we are. Church, you are beautiful. 
You are beautiful when this is who we are. But get this, there is a battle to remain this beautiful. It takes hard work to look as good as y'all look. I'm not kidding. I'm not up here preaching something that you don't know is true if you've been in church for longer than about a month. You have to fight the good fight of faith to continue to be who God has called and made you to be. And if it's the beautiful body of Christ, diverse but one, it is one whale of a battle. So part two of the message. In order to be who God has called us to be, and I hope this is going to be encouraging to you because that's what I feel like God led me to this, to do this today. Because back in 2016, I preached a message that became kind of a mantra for the church and a mantra for my life. So much so I had it tattooed on my arm. And it was this, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah chapter 6 Then a few years after that, I did another message from the book of Nehemiah on Vision Sunday from chapter six called Strengthen My Hands. This is what I want to remind you, church. There's actually quite a few of you who weren't around, and there's quite a few that were that are not when I preach this message, both of them. You see, the strength of our hands determines the power of our grip. And spiritually speaking, the power of our grip is vital to holding on to the promises of God. Finishing the race of faith is going to take a strong grip on the baton that has been placed on your hand until you get across the finish line, completing what God has started in your life. So having a good grip is important to many things, both practically and metaphorically. And I'm speaking more metaphorically this morning. Without a strong grip, there are a lot of things in this life that you cannot do. There are a lot of things that you won't be able to do without a strong grip. One of them is just even open up a a, a jar of anything. But here's something else. Spiritually speaking, there are all kinds of things God has called us to do where if we don't have a strong grip on his promises and the word of God, we will lose our grip and we will quit. But the context of this starts in verse 3. And what am I encouraging you to do through Nehemiah chapter 6? I'm encouraging you to be who 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says that you are, church. Nehemiah, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? What's going on? These are another chosen exiles, if you will. They've been ousted from Jerusalem. Nehemiah is back rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem so the people of God can have a place to be, a safe place to be once again, because this has always been the narrative of Scripture that God would have a people and a place, and that's who you are, and that's who we are today. But in this moment, Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall, and this is just his saying to everybody else that's trying to get him to stop, I'm going to keep doing what God has chosen and saved and called me to do. I'm carrying on a great work, and I cannot come down. That's what Nehemiah was saying. When obstacles and distractions and fears try to weaken our resolve, I'm carrying on a great work, and I cannot come down. When the enemy tries to prevent us from being the rebuilders and the restorers that we're called to be as his church today, I'm carrying on a great work, and I cannot come down. When we hear we can't, we say, God says we will. What God says about you and me is far superior to any lie the enemy could whisper into your ears. So don't come down. 
how many of you know that just because you tell the enemy, I'm not coming down, that he's not going to give up doing what he's doing and has been doing since the fall? Oh, oh, okay. Well, Pastor Brent said that he's not coming down. Well, I guess I'll stop all this stealing, robbing, and killing stuff that I've been doing forever. Oh, well, that, that, those people said, leave me alone, devil. So I guess I will. That's not how it works, my friends. As a matter of fact, the attacks will probably escalate when you're a threat to the enemy's plans. And in the story of Nehemiah, the wall around Jerusalem is now physically being seen. What's what, what was once only something that was in the mind's eye of Nehemiah by faith is now actually physically becoming a reality. It wasn't finished yet, but pieces and parts of the wall were completed. Can I ask you? Any of you in this room this morning or watching online, what is it that in your life a while back was just you seeing something with eyes of faith and now today you're beginning to see pieces of it begin to take shape and form around your life? Maybe it was finances in your life that were in ruins because you weren't honoring God in any way through what he had given you, but God gave you a plan and you saw financial peace by faith, but now you're actually seeing some things being restored and you're seeing joy and peace and you're seeing parts of that financial wall being rebuilt around your life. Maybe it's your marriage that was in ruins and by faith you believe that God could save it and today you're seeing some relational health begin to form around your life. Maybe it was an addiction that you were having faith one day that you would break, break free from. And today you're experiencing some measure of sobriety and there's some walls coming up around your life to protect you even greater fashion than ever before. Here's the point. When you are physically seeing what you once only saw by faith, know that the enemy is going to escalate his attacks. Let me tell you in Focus Church, today we are physically seeing things that once we only prayed and believed by faith. And don't think for one minute that the enemy won't escalate his attacks because he hates when God is glorified through the lives of his people. The enemy hates what glorifies God, so his attacks grow in intensity the closer you get to your divine destiny in Christ. So when it's finally the place where you're making progress, the enemy lies to you. It's at this point that he lies to you. Well, you'll never finish. I, I see that you got it started, but you're never going to finish it. See, the attacks against Nehemiah and God's people started with mocking in one particular verse, they're mocking Nehemiah and they say, well, listen, they're talking about the Jews. They say, even if they do re rebuild the wall, even if they do, it'll be so weak that a fox could walk on it and it would fall. That was kind of their, their taunt. Nobody really says that today. I don't know if that would really upset you at all. Man, you just, you know, put up a fence around your yard. It's so weak, if a fox ran on it, it'd fall. What? That's, that's kind of, my, my, but to, their, to them, it was taunting, it was mocking. And I want you to understand this. Listen to me. When the, word when, the, when, when the word of God or when God speaks to us through his word and he shows his church something that he wants us to do by faith, the enemy will come and mock us to keep us from ever getting started or to ever finish. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. Why do you think you could even do that? Why do you think as a church you could even make that happen? How do you think as a church you're going to build that way? 
your church? Really? You think God's going to use you? You really think that you can have a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in our culture today, in Evans, Georgia today? Listen, if the enemy is making fun of it, it's because he's afraid of it. But if God started it, he's going to finish it. So in verses 4 through 7 of Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah's enemies escalate their attack from mocking and threatening and harassing verbally to an increased number of enemies coming against them. Failing in their first four attempts, because Nehemiah's like, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm doing what God's called me to do. So failing in their first four attempts, Sambalat and Tobiah, these are the guys that are doing all of this, sent his servant a fifth time with an open letter filled with all kinds of baseless lies about Nehemiah. The letter accused Nehemiah of trying to set himself up as king of Judah through the leadership of the work on the wall. But here's Nehemiah's response in verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, it's just back and forth. It'd be like us texting back and forth. They're sending letters back and forth. No such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your mind. What is he saying? You're lying. He's calling it as it is. You are lying about me and what God's doing. And this is what we have to say as the church whenever baseless lies come against the body of Christ. By the way, everything the enemy says to us is a lie. Scripture is very clear that that's his native language. That's all he knows what to say. So it's not even, he, that's all he knows how to do is lie. He's a liar. He lies about you. He lies about this church. He lies about the church globally. He lies all the time. But the only power the enemy's lies or anybody else's lies have over us is the power that we give it. As opposed to holding on tightly to the promises and the truth of the word of God. That's why declaring the word over your life is so important. It doesn't mean you won't have troubles. It doesn't mean that you won't go through pain. It doesn't mean that you won't have difficulty. It just means that you're holding on to hope that one day there will be no more troubles. There will be no more pain. There will be no more difficulty. There will be no more tears in Christ, in heaven forever. By the grace of God, that is the hope that we have. Look at verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. See, that's the goal of the enemy, my friends. That's the goal of the, of the voices that come and try to divide. divide. Here's what I do. If I can't get you to quit, to give up, to stop persevering, to believe the lies more than you believe the truth, then I'm just going to get you so weak you can no longer do the work that God's called you to do. I'm going to get you to walk in the fear of people instead of faith in the fear of the Lord. Fear is fostered by unfounded what ifs. Well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? Whereas faith is grounded in biblical what wills. My God will supply all of my riches according to his heaven. My God will finish what he started. My God will make rivers in the desert. My God will make a way when there seems to be no way. My God will do all of these things. Not what if, but God will. God will. You see, in the enemy, he comes and he tries to weaken you with his lies. And he knows that you will stop doing the work that God is doing through you if you believe those lies. Because we quit. And that's only half of it, because here's the truth. When we stop doing the work God is doing through us, we also stop allowing God to do the work that he's doing in us. 
When you stop allowing God to do the work that he's doing through you because you are discouraged and you're quitting and you're giving up, you stop allowing God to do the work that he's doing in you. If the enemy can't steal your life, I assure you he's going to try to rob you of your purpose. But here's the good news. God is intent on finishing what he started in us, church. God is intent on finishing what he started in your life as a part of his body, through you and in you. God is intent on building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he will accomplish all that pertains to you, which gets me to Nehemiah's prayer and has to be our prayer. What I'm encouraging you to pray today to be the chosen race that God has called us to be in First Peter. Here's the prayer. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Let me hold on to your promises. Let me hold on to what you've told me to do. Call on God to help you to have the strength to finish what he started in your life. This is a prayer of perseverance. Lord, you're gonna finish what you started. Lord, you're gonna fulfill your purpose in our lives. Lord, you're gonna heal this relationship. Lord, you're gonna restore this marriage. Lord, you're gonna save this friend. Lord, you're gonna save this son. Lord, you're gonna save this daughter. Lord, you're gonna break this addiction. Lord, you're gonna build this church exactly how you want it. You're gonna bring reconciliation. You're gonna bring redemption. You're gonna bring restoration. And you're gonna glorify your name through us. Strengthen our hands so we don't lose our grip on that promise. Let that be our prayer in focus. Figuratively, hands mean power. Conversely, drooping our hands symbolizes weakness. Power, weakness. I believe the enemy is doing all of this all the time in our lives to try to weaken our resolve. But I also believe he wants to do this to us as a church. It's when we seem to be making progress that he comes to discourage us the most. It's like when you take three steps forward, that's when he wants to hit you with a right cross. Because if he can't take us out, he wants to wear us out. Why? Because that's what he does. And how does he do it? Through discouragement. He will discourage you till you take yourself out by quitting. This is what was taking place when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. Mocking, jeering, lies, deceitful schemes, all the things that we talked about that First Peter says we should put away from our lives last week. And if what the enemy wants to do to us and in us doesn't happen one way, he'll just try another. And Peter says to, to all of us to rid ourselves of these things. To, to actually believe what God's word says. And this is our prayer. Strengthen our hands. Help us regain our grip onto your word, your promises, who you are, who you say we are as your glorious church. Hebrews 10, 23 comes to mind with this analogy of holding on to God's promises. It said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. And what a powerful verse that just goes so well with what Peter is trying to say to put your hope in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Hold on to that. His promise is to progressively make us into what we already are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God and show out his praise for the glory of his name. 
We're making progress daily towards that goal. And the devil doesn't like it when the church makes progress because it impinges upon his territory. Maybe that's what's happening to you even today. The mockery didn't work, so you got started doing what God called you to do. The attacks didn't stop you because you trusted God and you started to do what he called you to do. The attacks don't stop and now the devil's scared because we're regaining our grip on what God has shown us to do, strengthening our hands. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. It's like when the people have asked me over the years about pastoring and pastoring this church and like, well, what if this doesn't work out? What's your plan B? I don't have a plan B. Can I tell you, church, I don't have a plan B. It's his power through us. It's not my strength. It's not my power. It's his power through us. The spirit of God that accomplishes his his will for us as the church. And let me close by saying this. Let's remember that Jesus is the one that makes who we are possible in the first place. He was chosen by God. He was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was the great high priest and the enemy tempted and mocked and jeered and lied about Jesus first. When that didn't work, when Jesus just kept on obeying the Father and loving people and building the kingdom and fighting the fight of faith, the enemy betrayed him from the inside. Can I tell you, this is normal for the church. Always has been always will be. If the enemy can't get you from the outside, he'll often come to get somebody to betray you from the inside to stop God's work. Paul even warned the church in Acts chapter 20 when the church was just forming and he warned against savage wolves on the outside and truth twisters from the inside. In Jesus' case, it was Judas. But there's always a Peter as well who though failed was restored and became a foundational piece of the church. Then for Jesus, the violent tax increased after he was betrayed, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was hung on a cross to die. It was there that the enemy tried to get Jesus to lose his grip on God's plan for us by weakening his grip on our lives because there's nothing like weakening the grip by driving nails into somebody's wrists. But actually it only served to cause God's grip on us to be even stronger. Watch what John 10 says. Because of his shed blood, death and resurrection, the grip of God is now unrivaled. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Watch, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So what do we do? We follow in our Savior's footsteps. We pray, not my will, God, but yours be done. Oh God, strengthen my hands. And he is here to help with the power of the Holy Spirit to regain your grip on his word, on his truth, and on his promises. His promise is who we are as a church so we can continue to do what we're supposed to do as his church. Be encouraged, keep building, keep fighting, and God's power will finish what he started in you and in the body of Christ here called 
in focus church to be a beautiful community called to do the things that he's got called us to do oh god would you strengthen our hands and make us into who we really are who are we really first peter 2 9 we are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are god's people you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy that's who you are that's who we are and god will finish all that he started in us church amen let's pray heavenly father i thank you that nothing can thwart your plan for the body of christ nothing can thwart your plan for your church every head bowed and every eye closed i want you maybe just physically maybe if your arms are on your legs or however it may be that i just want you to both hands just grip your hands tightly just as a sign of solidarity with god and his word this morning and, and maybe the prayer today is god help me not to lose grip on your promises help me not to lose my grip on your word Help me not to lose my grip on who you say that I am. Help me not to lose the grip on who you say the church is. God, I am most who I am supposed to be when I am rightly related to the body of Christ called the church that you have made me to be a part of. Help us to not lose our grip on who we are, Jesus. And your word promises that you'll never lose your grip on us. So we can be assured of that. Even when our grips are weakened, you hold on to us, Lord. Nothing can take us out of your hands. Father, would you do something miraculous in our hearts today? Would you cause us to persevere? Would you cause us to stand firm? Would you cause us to continue to fight the fight of faith for your glory and our good? Jesus, have your way in us. Change us. Transform us. Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's worship Jesus together as we speak to him and praise his name. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church.